Welcome to The Real Journey Show. On this podcast, you can expect guests of all backgrounds and professions to share a real journey they have experienced in this thing called life. From origin to current, the rocky ups and downs in the middle, and what is yet to come. The journeys of each guest will vary, but there is one thing that will remain constant. The listeners will be reminded that life experiences have a compelling way of connecting us, inspiring us, and empowering us to stay real. I am Tara Martin, your host of The Real Journey Show. All right, welcome back to The Real Journey Show. We are super excited that you decided to tune in today for another Real Journey episode. We have a very special guest. I know I say that every time, but they're all special to me. He is a jack of all trades, an author of multiple books, a dad of multiple kids, (laughs) a a guy who's been an educator in multiple different roles, and just a speaker, author, all things amazing. I will, he's a runner, a runner of multiple miles, and I will let him better introduce himself. But welcome to this show, Dave Schmidto. I'm excited to have you on today. Hey, thank you so much. I'm I'm really, really excited to, to be doing this. Thank you so much. You're going to kill it. I'm excited. I um, I was actually, I'll let you introduce yourself, but I was super inspired by Dave's podcast, The Lasting Learning Podcast. If you don't listen to it, you should. Um, just because it is always authentic, real conversations. And when I was thinking about starting The Real Journey Show, I listened to Dave's podcast. I listened to Brene Brown's podcast. Both of those two or variants. Did you just put me in the same category as Brene Brown? I did. did, (laughs) Keep going. Keep talking. Why did I cut that off? Go. Say it again. (laughs) (laughs) And they both are just authentic, real conversations. I hope that's what you gained from this podcast as well, based around the real acronym. But I really, really love just that organic conversation and where we can learn from each other. I think truly we are better together. So Dave, thanks for being an inspiration to me and please do formally introduce yourself. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I'm just going to stick with the, the guy with the podcast that's like Brene Brown's. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that, yeah, that, that is, that is not me. Um, it, it's interesting. You know, you describe me as the, the jack of all trades. And um, I, I have a feeling we'll talk about this a little bit as, as we go, because that's something that I've been wrestling with for quite a bit for the last, I don't know, two or three years. I, I used to be that guy that felt like I had to do all the things and I needed everybody to think I could do all the things better than all the people. Um, but I'm finally, I think, finding who I am and finding my sweet spot in life and the things that really matter most to me. And some of those things are, um, you mentioned I'm a dad, father of four absolutely incredible kids. Um, they exhaust me, but they inspire me as well. They are the, the reason I do all the things that I do. Um, I do run. You said I, I run multiple miles. I <laughs> go out literally every single day and I do it um, for really two reasons, maybe three reasons. One, I do it because nobody in my immediate circle runs. So it is a place for me to go out and just completely get away. When people uh, know I'm going for a run, I know I've got an hour or two to, to just be in my own zone, be in my own element. It's a place where I can go think and reflect and um, I probably do most of my growing when I'm running and when I'm in pain and just pushing through things. Um, and I'm an educator. Um, he said I've had multiple roles. I, I just finished my 20th year in education. I've been 
everything from teacher, assistant principal, principal, athletic director, curriculum director, college professor, um, writer, speaker, and a friend to, to people like you. So that's me. That's what I do. Yeah. See, I was right. That's <laughs> trades. Um, yeah. You know, you talked a little bit about perfectionism indirectly. And I definitely yeah. think that's a topic that I can relate to. This is definitely a thing that I struggle with. I'm always working on trying to remind myself that, you know, you don't have to be the best at everything and, and you're really not going to be. So quit striving for it kind of thing. Um, I think there's probably other listeners out there that might struggle in that area. And this show, again, is uh, for anybody who's just joining and you've never listened before. It's all based around this acronym, real, being real, and that's being relatable, exposing a little vulnerability, approachable, and learning through life. So today we're going to ask Dave just to share a real journey. It can be any journey or multiple journeys in his life that shaped him into the person and the leader and the educator and the jack of all trades that he is today. And so uh, the father that he is today. And so as we're talking about that, I know that he touched just a tad about this whole idea of perfectionism, this whole idea of trying to be the best at all things. And maybe that will come up in your journey. I think it's definitely something I've talked to a lot of authors recently about. Um, you know, they're just struggling in one area or not or another. And it always seems to go back to they're just trying to be the best they can in too many places. And it's actually just spending them um, emotionally, socially, uh, physically, personally, professionally, all things. And it's, I'm like, you just have to pick something and you just have to try to be really good at that or be in the moment, be yeah. good at what you're doing in the moment. So yeah, Dave, please do share a real journey in your life. It could be anything. It could be all things um, that has helped to shape you into the person you are today. Well, I feel like right now I'm laying on a leather couch and you're sitting there with a clipboard and I'm going to end up billing my insurance plan for this yeah. conversation, but, um, I don't but have enough degrees for that. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Well, that's okay. <laughs> Cause my, my, my real journey, if you will, I think it goes back, um, a long time, you know, when you, when you talk to a therapist or counselor, often they, they go back to childhood and bring up a lot of the, your, your dirt and your past, the stuff that you tried to sweep under the rug. But for me, I, I know that that's where, where mine starts. Um, I'm going to take you all the way back to when I was eight years old in third grade. I had the most incredible teacher ever, Miss E. Foster. Uh, we had a Miss B. Foster who taught fourth grade. Miss E. Foster was my teacher, and she was absolutely incredible. At the end of third grade, Miss E. Foster called my parents and had a, a conference with my parents and asked if they would be um, interested in having me skip fourth grade and go from third grade to fifth grade. She said that she wanted to, the first time in her 30 something year career, she was offering that. Um, and along with that, they would give me the, the title and designation of gifted and talented. And the rest is history. Uh, I say that my journey goes way back there because from that moment on, I felt this need to live up to that label and that expectation now that the world had of, at the time, I went by Matthew. My dad's uh, first name is David. So everybody in my childhood called me Matthew. But the person that Matthew um, was expected to be, this this gifted kid who I thought now that means everything's supposed to be easy. This kid who is supposed to be the smartest kid in class, the smartest student that this teacher has had in 30 years. I thought that was supposed to be me, that everything was just supposed to come easy to me. And I'll be honest with you all through middle school and high school. Um, I, I did a pretty good job of living up to that reputation. Then I got out onto, into the real world 
and realized that, wow, um, life's not always as easy as it was back when I was eight years old. There are hard things in the world. And I'll be honest, I, I don't think I was necessarily, I don't think I've ever struggled with perfectionism. I think what I've struggled with is wanting people to think that I was perfect because deep down I knew that I had struggles. But my biggest issue was always putting up this front and this facade to try to mask all those, those insecurities that I didn't want anybody to see. And that's what got difficult. So I, I might struggle in one thing and I would pivot and try to dabble in something else until people started to uh, really dig deep and realize I wasn't the best at that. So I'll pivot again and try a different route. And I was constantly shifting and shaking. Uh, even throughout my career, I, I struggled with multiple faces, if you will, uh, multiple personalities. I struggled with, am I supposed to be one person for the people in the suits that evaluate me and a different person for the students that I work with? Or when I was administrator, am I supposed to be working for the superintendent or working for the teachers? And I felt like I was constantly playing this game of uh, who am I in the moment or which audience? And uh, it, it just completely, completely wore me down and got me so exhausted trying to put up a front so that people saw me as something that I wasn't. And uh, it truly wasn't until probably two and a half, three years ago that I just, I hit my wall and realized I couldn't live that life anymore. I couldn't play that game and got myself to the lowest of the lows and uh, really, truly, literally and phys uh, uh, figuratively looked at myself in the mirror and realized I didn't know who I was, which, which of those two personalities, those three personalities, was it the me? Was I any of those things? And did I really have any value to anybody anywhere because I felt like I was just I was that sailboat going whichever way the winds blew and just trying to be that person that everybody expected me to be as opposed to just try, trying to be the real me or the genuine me and it's been this journey now for the last uh, couple of years really digging deep trying to figure out who am I what are my strengths what are my skills so that I don't have to be that jack of all trades for all people at all times you know, you talk about my podcast and my podcast kind of goes through that evolution too. The podcast started off as just me pontificating and it was just me, a solo voice talking because I thought people wanted to hear my voice um, and it never got any traction. I realized people don't care what Dave Schmidt has to say. It wasn't until I realized, okay, maybe my gift is actually trying to amplify the stories of others that got traction. And now that's, that's what I try to do. I, I'm trying my best with everything I have to be the guy who doesn't have to live that double life of trying to be the expert at anything now, other than being the biggest cheerleader for other people that I can be. So that's me. So good. So good. You made a couple of statements that um, it just made me think um, perfectionism versus masking perfectionism or masking perfect. Um, I think that's just a cool thing to consider. I, I think it's something I haven't really ever thought about. For me, it's always chasing these big goals. You know, like if it's a rubric, I want to be on the right-hand side. I study it until I understand it completely and I'm going to kill myself to get to that place. And I know, I know my strengths and I know that I'm capable of doing that, but I'm just not capable of doing that in every role in my life. But never was it that I was trying to mask those abilities like I was always just trying to push those abilities to the next level almost yeah. to the place where I was exhausting myself um to be this distinguished whatever right yeah. um and I, I feel like there is definitely a difference here because I don't know I just kind of want you to elaborate a little bit more what do you think the sure. difference is between masking perfect and actually just striving for it all the time so I, I think it's um, 
there's so many, I mean, we can go as deep as you want to go with this one, but I, um, like, I do kind of feel like, <laughs> <laughs> right. So I, I think for, for me, um, to the, to the outside world. So I, I'm 42 years old, probably 25 years of my life. People that, uh, that saw me or maybe they met me at a conference or something, there'd be uh, probably half the population would look at me and say, man, he has a cocky SOV. He is so arrogant, so full of himself. What they didn't realize is oftentimes uh, that was just me trying to cover up all these insecurities and walking with some swagger that I didn't have. Um, you know, I, again, we, we can go, we can go back if we want to. Um, well, I'll just take you back maybe 18 years now. After my second year of teaching, um, I already thought I had teaching figured out and went on 16 job interviews to try to get an administrator job and didn't get a single sniff. I mean, nobody wanted to hire a brand new newbie that really, I had no idea what I was doing or what I was talking about, but I thought I had all the answers. And when I didn't get callbacks from those 16 different schools, a sane person would have looked in the mirror and said, man, I got a lot to learn, a lot to grow. Not me. I blamed everybody else for their ignorance and said, they just, they don't know how awesome I am, that they're the ones that are wrong. And uh, before we went live, I was telling you that, you know, even a couple of years ago, I, I was fighting for my reputation, fighting for this image and fighting because I wanted everybody to see me a certain way. I really wanted everybody to, whether it was real or not, I wanted people to think I was amazing and I would do anything I needed to do to make sure that people thought I was incredible. Um, whether that meant arguing, debating, fighting, hiding, or, or playing a game. And uh, I am now at this place where I am at peace with people seeing weaknesses. I'm at this place now where I'm okay with um, my weaknesses being seen as a strength. You know, I, I know you and I have talked before about how sometimes vulnerability can be the, the greatest strength somebody has. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I started really coming out with my own story and talking about some of the deep, dark places I've been that for the first time in my life, I really felt this place of strength. You know, I, I've been in some, some dark places and I'm, I'm okay going there if we want to go there, but where um, I felt like I, I was finally at the place where I was willing to admit, I don't have all the answers. I don't know what I'm doing. And admitting that to the world has been the most liberating thing ever for me because it allows me to then say, okay, but what am I good at? And really trying to carve out that niche for my real strengths, my God-given talents, as opposed to the ones that Dave Schmidt was trying to create on his own. Perfect example, perfect definition, or, you know, just elaboration on, it was more about, I think, instead of masking perfect, which is what kind of I asked you the question first, I think it's more that you were masking insecurities to seem perfect. Yeah. And in my world, I was thinking perfectionism as striving for perfect, um, like killing myself to try to make it happen. And, and a lot of times actually making it happen, not yeah. perfect, but distinguished in whatever area that I need to be distinguished in. Um, I do think there's some differences there, though, definitely. Um, and I also love the idea that you said you know, you mask those insecurities to seem perfect for so long and finally realize that when you just share those vulnerabilities and, and really not even call them insecurities, just call them vulnerabilities, you start to share those, you, you gain strength and you started to realize, wow, I am, people actually receive this. And I think people receive it because obviously they're human. They have a pulse. They have a life too, and they're dealing, a lot of people are dealing with similar situations 
And it's not like misery loves company, but I think in a way it makes us feel better if other people are struggling and they're coming out of it. And who doesn't love an overcoming story? Like I love overcoming stories. So I know you talked a little bit about, you know, being able to find this strength. Um, I would love for you to elaborate just in any way that you want to about finding that strength in your vulnerabilities. Um, I think a lot of times people still to this day, before we share our vulnerabilities, a lot of times we'll, people, I'll just use myself as an example, look at me and they're like, oh, she's perfect. Like everything about her little life is perfect. And she's just going through life, working out and going around speaking, writing books, talking to authors, you know, gets to do all the things. But the truth is we all have um, dark moments. We all have real moments. And I think that's what the show is all about is helping us to realize that we're better together. We learn that every human, no matter how amazing they seem to the, the outside world, they are real people and they struggle too. And it's nice to know that we're not alone. And so I would love for you to be able to elaborate a little bit on, you know, when you came out of this masking these insecurities and almost just reframing them. Like, I'm not gonna hide these insecurities any longer. I'm gonna share my vulnerabilities with others when it's necessary. And you even said it, like you gained strength in that way. So yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, and cut me off at any time with this. Uh, I, I will, I will try to whatever. stay as composed and, and real as possible, but um, so yeah, I, I talked about how I, I realized I was living this facade and realizing that I was doing all I could to try to, to please everybody. Um, but at the same time, uh, I, I got to this place where I realized that in that attempt, I wasn't really pleasing uh, the, the people that I was trying to, to please. Um, I was starting to feel as though I was a pawn in everybody else's game. And the, the game that I was playing, it, it's weird. I almost felt like the cards have been turned on me. And I got to this place, um, it was uh, back in 2016, where I, I really started to examine, did I have relevance? Did I have purpose? And you know, I, I had the opportunity to talk to, to Quinn Rollins um, back at that time. I, I met him at a conference and uh, just having a conversation with him and hearing a little bit about his journey started to give me some strength and some understanding of the fact that a other people feel some of the same insecurities that I'm feeling. Even these people that are up on the stage, that I look at as these rock stars, if you will, and hearing his willingness to, to open up to some things allowed me to start doing that as well. So the, the story I'm about to tell is thanks in part to people like him that open up and say, okay, you can find your voice and you can, you can tell it and maybe it'll impact other people. So, um, so back in 2016, I started to really wrestle with did I have any purpose? Did I have any significance? Um, I, I say a lot now, there's a, there's a huge difference between wanting to be alone and being lonely. You know, I, I mentioned I go for my long runs primarily because I can go and be alone. And that's a choice on my part. I go because I'm making that choice. But I'm a guy who oftentimes um, can be in a crowd and feel completely lonely feeling like nobody notices, nobody cares. Um, nobody is hearing my voice. You know, even now, a real trigger for me is when I have to repeat myself more than once because it makes me feel like the people I'm talking to just don't, don't hear me. They don't notice me. They, they're not paying attention to, to what I have to say. So the day before Thanksgiving on, in 2016, um, I found myself in the middle of the night standing on top of a bridge. Um, at the time, I lived down in Florida. 
and there's a, a bridge that separates um, Florida from Alabama. And I don't know what led me to that bridge at two in the morning. Um, I, I can I can remember driving to the parking lot on one side of the bridge. I can remember walking. I can remember standing at the top of, of the bridge and looking out at the water and just seeing the black sky and feeling so insignificant, feeling this this overwhelming feeling of just completely alone and loneliness and feeling as though nobody would even know if I took a step. Nobody would nobody would know where I went. Um, and then wondering. Would it really matter? Would it um, make a difference to the world at all? Um, I don't know what it was that entered my mind. I don't know if it was fear. I don't know if it was um, doubting my own abilities to actually follow through on something like that. I honestly have no clue. The next thing I remember after standing there and just having all these thoughts was getting back into my car and driving home. Um, didn't tell anybody about that. Um, for about six months or so, it was my my own little secret, and uh, just got to this place where I felt like, okay, I got to I got to start sharing this story so I can start to to grow because I felt such overwhelming guilt um, for about six months and doubt and literally could not shake the the thoughts that were going through my head. I was just in this dark dark place. Got to my got my place myself to this place where I could finally start acknowledging what I went through. Um, and it's been, uh, it, I've, since that time, I've started seeing therapists and seeing counselors and um, started talking to a, a lot of people that are a whole lot smarter than me. Um, even got myself on some medication and um, started to regulate some things. And, uh, you know, I've kind of shared some of the thoughts that have gone through my head over the last two and a half, three years and uh, the transformation that has taken place and this new strength that I have. Um, I feel right now emotionally and um, spiritually and mentally stronger than I've ever felt in my life. Right now, I feel like you could throw anything at me and I'm going to look at it and, and have confidence that I'll be able to overcome it, which is so bizarre. You know, I, I, I think, you know, just a couple of uh, weeks ago, I went back to that same bridge and went for a long run across that bridge just so that I could conquer it, if you will. I, I hadn't, I hadn't hadn't gone <laughs> and done that, hadn't confronted my demon um, since that time, but I, I wanted to. Uh, nobody knew where I was going again this time, but I just went and went for my run just so that I could feel the power in myself to go and, and face that demon and go across it and come back. And I had all kinds of symbolic uh, metaphorical thoughts going through my head about the, the victory and the, the accomplishment. But the last month of my life, um, I've had the most peace probably that I've ever had. And I, I can tell you emphatically, the last month of my life has been hard. <laughs> Had I gone through this last month, three or four years ago, I guarantee I would be at a different place. Um, and I would not be handling it the way I'm handling it. But right now I feel, honestly, I've been, I wake up with a smile. I wake up and I go for a jog. I come back and play with my kids and smile and get some work done. And um, I'm just, I feel a renewed sense of focus and purpose like, like I've never felt. Um, primarily because now I no longer feel like I have to juggle everything and hide things that um, I'm not good at. I'm willing to admit when I don't have a clue what I'm doing. Um, and at the same time, I'm willing to, to try my best to hit it out of the park when I feel like I'm in my wheelhouse and um, just staying in my lane and, and focusing on the focus. It's, it's where I'm at and um, truly happier right now than I've been in a long, long time.
Wow, that's a powerful story. I, the word that just keeps going through my head, you actually said it earlier, is just liberating. You know, yeah. it's so, you know, every, I think, I think I could actually say every, I don't usually try to use all inclusive words like that, but I think every human has moments where we think dark thoughts. I mean, I don't know that anyone's really exempt from thinking dark thoughts, maybe the, maybe not to that extent, but we all struggle. And I'm so grateful, first of all, that you didn't jump because I wouldn't have gotten to meet you. And that's just like, I don't want to go there. I don't want to cry on my podcast, but uh, I know you don't mind crying sometimes. (laughs) I, um, I, you know, I'm just thankful for whatever came across your mind that day. And I think so often I just think about other people who have had these situations and they, they didn't um, overcome. And it's just something I think as humans, we have to be so, we have to take very seriously when people are struggling. I love that you, by the way, I love that you shared your story about going back over the bridge and facing that fear. That, that takes a lot of courage back to Brene Brown, (laughs) compare you to her again. Um, That really does take a lot of courage to face your fears. And, um, but when you came out, you were so much stronger. I mean, we are going through a global pandemic. We are having like a massive civil rights movement right now in our world. There's a lot of things happening right now and you feel stronger than you've ever felt during this time. I think there's a lot of people that can't say that. And so, you know, I'm kind of one of those people that thinks that everything happens for a reason and different times of our lives. And I'm so grateful that you're to this place where you feel stronger. But one of the things I love about the beauty of this story is that you feel liberated. And I said that earlier, but I, you feel liberated because you don't have to mask anything anymore. You can just be you and it's okay. And you can share all those things. The E in real is about exposing vulnerability. I think we truly are made stronger when we share our vulnerable moments and people find us with the A in real approachable when that happens because they're like, okay. Like that's a real human. And you were talking earlier about your old way of living and how you thought that it was being received a different way. But the truth is it didn't sound like the people around you were actually feeling like you were approachable, right? Oh yeah, I, I can, I, I would say <laughs> emphatically. So I'm a 42 year old man who doesn't have friends. Yeah. I mean, that's sad. I, I but I, I, because I push everybody away, I don't let, I, I've never let people into my life. And again, I can go back to childhood and say, it's because I was a, a Navy brat and I moved around a lot. I'm great at making acquaintances, but I never had to make lasting friendships. And I'm sure that's part of it. I never learned that, that skill, never learned how to just open up and let people in. But a, a lot of it was a choice too. I didn't want people to come in. I didn't want them to, to get past the surface and see this raw, real flawed person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm at this place now where I, I, I don't necessarily feel like my, my weaknesses are flaws, which is crazy. Um, there, it's just, I, I'll use your word again. It's, it's realness. It's, it's, um, it's who I am, but this is also, I'm going to be very transparent right now too. This is also super difficult for me to talk about because 
I don't ever want this to come across as me trying to manipulate people by sharing vulnerability. You know, I, I don't want that to be the case either. Right now, social emotional learning and social emotional health is, is a conversation a lot of people are talking about. And um, I don't want anybody to ever look at me and think that this is something I'm trying to profess to be my wheelhouse. Do not contact me to help you with social emotional learning. I, this, this is truly, it is a weakness of mine. Um, this, is, this is not a, a strength of mine. It's something I'm learning. It's something I'm trying to come to grips with. It's something I'm trying to overcome. But I don't ever want people to think that they need to use stories like this to try to, to manipulate the narrative or to, to change the way people think about you. Just be real. Whatever your story is, it's a beautiful story. And tell the story of you um, and all of its highs, all of its lows, all of its peaks and values. It, it made you who you are and just celebrate that journey. That's, that's what it's about. Exactly. I, and that reminds me a lot of um, writing Be Real. You know, yeah. a lot of times I thought people would try to think that I'm the expert in all things social emotional learning, which I am not. And I don't claim to be. But I think I also think that's kind of a problem with the world right now. Like, do you only want to hear from the expert, the person who's researched and studied these things to the end, to the no end? Or would you like to hear from somebody who's actually experience trauma as a child and or trauma in any area of their life and their story of overcoming well personally i'd like to hear both like i'd like to learn yeah. a little bit about the research but i love hearing people's real journeys it means something to me and i learn and i grow from it and i think it kind of goes back to we don't really have to be the expert in every area that we talk about for other people to learn and grow from it um learning is a process right you talk a lot about that and it's the process of learning that gets messy and it doesn't always make sense, but it also leaves the learner, the person on the other end, the person listening to this podcast to go and discover some more stuff, to mm -hmm. research for themselves, to use that, what I call discovery learning. Like you just go out there and you find it out because this story inspired you to learn more. And so I think that's another facade that we have kind of going in the world right now that you have to be the expert at all things to be able to talk about it. That's not really true in my well, mind. Yeah, I think, it, it, you know, one of the things I, I talk about all the time is my, my despise. And I, I will use that word, my despise, my hatred for labels of any sort, whether they're the labels that we try to use for good. Like I said, the talented and gifted, that's a label that I would say set me up for some failure down the road or whatever labels we want to throw at people. One of the reasons I didn't go talk to counselors or therapists early on is because I was afraid of what labels they were going to throw on me. Were they going to say I was depressed or anxious? Um, even that label of expert is, is a label that we misuse. And there are people out there right now that that, that bash so-called experts or people that aren't experts. I mean, just get rid of labels and just identify with people. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous right now. The, the labels that people are using as weapons. Um, so yes, I agree with you. We all, we're all experts in our own story. So just tell your story exactly. and celebrate that. Well, you know your story better than anybody else. That's the one thing I, I kind of love about the Be Real too. Like no one can slap their name on that book. There's just no way. There's so yeah. much in my real journey in there. There's no way that anyone has experienced exactly what I've experienced. So, and I think that's something that people can't argue with. Like, I mean, you're not going to argue. I'm not going to argue with your story. It's your story, right? Yeah. So anybody out there listening, I just feel like 
sharing your story, being real, being relatable, exposing vulnerability, approachable, learning through life. I mean, that is what you are the expert of that. <laughs> that's your that's your journey. And if you're masking that, David's already talked about that's that's a good, great place to get you to um, a very low place to and, and, and a, a confusing place. Like earlier you talked about, I didn't even know who I was. You know, I didn't know which person was the good Dave. Like, is this the good Dave? Is that the good Dave? Like, which Dave mm-hmm. should I be today? Um, I think there's people out there listening that would probably be able to relate to that too. I feel like I am ridiculously real and kind of almost to a fault. Um, (laughs) Like, so I don't feel like I've ever like tried to mask who I am. I would love to be able to do that. But uh, being like the living emoji, I think people can read my face pretty much always. They always know what I'm thinking, (laughs) what I'm saying. It doesn't matter which group I'm supposed to be catering to. But um, I do know that a lot of people experience that. And so thank you for like sharing. Yeah, absolutely. You're the human emoji. I was the human chameleon. I felt like I had to change my colors with every with every environment. And that's part of the reason why I hate being in crowds because I, I feel like, I, how do you become a different person for everybody in the crowd? You know, as opposed to just being real, be you, and let the chips fall where they may. So yeah, I mean, you think about those little chameleons that are on like multiple colors, right? Like they probably are just like, oh my god, like what color <laughs> right now? You know, it's super yeah, yeah, frustrating. Yeah. Um, that's a great way to, that's a great analogy, actually, you know, in crowds too, I, I, you know, I'm much more open and easy to chat with in, um, one-to-one situations or on stage, which is so funny, but then I get into like a crowd of people and I get overstimulated. And so, but that is the real me. It's not something I try to hide. It's definitely just something that is, and most people, anybody that knows me can tell that I'm getting to that place and I have to just go regroup by myself in the hotel. But even those kinds of things, I think it's cool just to be like, this is who I am. One of the things I talk about in um, my speeches is just normalizing your weird. It, <laughs> I just go ahead and state it at the onset. Like this is an odd thing about me. And yeah, boom. If you yeah. like it, great. If you don't like it, you don't have to be my friend. It's totally cool. Um, yeah. But, it worked for it worked for Eminem in the eight in eight mile. I don't know if you ever saw eight mile or not, but he's in he's in that final rap battle, and he just brought out all of his own flaws and said, "Now what are you going to use against me?" Put it all out there, and then they got nothing else. So it's like boom. If it works for Eminem. It's going to work for us. Exactly. So boom. <laughs> now we have it. Mic drop moment. <laughs> the truth has been spoken. Um, Dave, yeah, I'm really loving this journey. I think it's something that we can all relate to. I really appreciate you sharing so much of it. And reminding us that, you know, where, where you started, where you came from, and where you are now, I'd like to know, what are you thinking for the future? Now that you have this liberation, you feel so, um, you, you feel so real. <laughs> um, what does this mean for Dave Matthew Schmidt for the future? <laughs> so uh, I'm going to caution you that... Um... You should always be very, very careful about what you ask for and what you pray for. So uh, for a long time, I spent a lot of time praying and thinking and wishing and hoping for doors to open. My, my problem is that when doors open, I tend to walk through whatever doors open thinking, oh, the grass will be greener, you know. Um, 
<laughs> this year, 2020, and you might even be able to go back and, and fact check this. I might have even mentioned it to you that my my thoughts, my prayers, my hopes this year weren't going to be for doors open. My I was hoping for doors to start closing. Um, I was hoping that I would be able to just that something else was going to guide me to my next steps other than than me, because I know when it's me, I'm chasing status or chasing reputation or chasing all of those things. So right now what I'm, I am, what's, what's next for me is I'm, this is so weird to, to say, but I am just waiting for the right doors to close um, so that the right opportunities can materialize. And um, it, it's not something I'm going to necessarily say everybody else needs to go start asking for. I mean, I don't start everybody asking for doors to close, but it, for somebody in my situation who has made a lot of mistakes and walked down a lot of the wrong roads, um, chasing the wrong things. I, I'm just super excited to see what doors close on me and um, to feel the peace of knowing that doors close for the right reasons. Um, and when one door closes, the right door can open up. You know, I, I don't want to be caught in one of those little spinning hotel doors anymore where it's just going round and round and round. And I'm not sure if I should push or pull or when to step out and when to step. I just, I want the doors to close so that I'm either just going to stay still in the moment and appreciate where I am or, you know, see the, the golden path in front of me that I can go down. I, what that looks like, I don't know. And I'm, I'm okay with that for the first time in my life. I am totally at peace with saying, I got no idea what the next five years holds. I have no idea what the next 10 years holds. And I'll be a dad to four amazing kids. Um, I know I'll be working hard. Um, I know I'll be chasing sunshine wherever it is. I know I'll wake up every morning and go for a run. Um, other than that, we'll see. We'll see. And that's okay. Yeah, that, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I do have, do have a new book coming out. Um, but where, where, where that takes me, I, I'm okay too. Like, we'll just, we'll see. We'll see. We'll go where it goes. It's a great way to think about life though. Um, you know, just allowing whatever circumstances comes my way, like I'm ready for it. If it's closing doors, opening doors. Um, um, I love it. I love it. I was going to say, well, tell us a little bit about your book. So that is something that's coming soon. Yeah. And that's definitely in the future, but close future. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your new book. Okay. Um, so it comes out in the middle of July, 2020. No idea when this is going to air. So I'll, I'll put that out there. I, I have a date, but you know how it works. You don't ever say the date because okay. things change. <laughs> so, Never say the date. <laughs> so at some point in the middle of the summer, 2020, um, the, the full title, I'll use the subtitle and everything because I think that's probably the, the best part of it is making assessment work for educators who hate data, but love kids. Um, it's basically just trying to to boil things down so it makes sense so that we're not just talking about standard deviations and scale scores and writ points and um, percentiles and all, all of that stuff that we sometimes get lost in that I know turns off a lot of educators, but it's also not dismissing the value and role of assessing kids, but trying to, to make it so it's actually practical, useful, and uh, so that it can make sense and we can Start assess. I, I'm actually believe that we need to assess our kids more so that we can instruct more. I, I'm a firm believer in assess to instruct, not instruct to assess. And um, the the book just uses my kind of language of lots of metaphors and examples and um, parables, and also gives some very practical takeaways for people that they can use in their classrooms and schools. 
Awesome. And yeah. you mean by assessment, you mean all forms of assessment? I mean, any, any evidence that you collect to demonstrate student understanding. So um, again, the, the terms formative and summative assessment, I think have been, I'll, I'm going to use a word here. I probably shouldn't use it on your podcast, but it's been bastardized to the point where it doesn't even make sense anymore. People use formative assessment. I'll, I'll just preach a little bit if that's okay. Yeah, okay. The term formative assessment uh, where they say, I, this is just a formative assessment. So it's only counts for like 20% of a, a student's grade. And this is a summative assessment. So it's going to count 80%. In essence, what they're saying is the formative isn't as high quality. It's not as good. So that's the stuff that I'm going to use formatively to inform my instruction. And then there's the summative stuff that I'm going to say is really good and high quality, but that's at the end. So I can't use it anymore. Like that just doesn't make sense. Assess all assessments should be format used formatively and summatively pre-test post-test, whatever evidence you collect of student learning, whether whenever it is, is good evidence if you do it right. So use it to inform your instruction, use it to give your kid credit or to verify or to validate what they know. Um, and hopefully the book just explains how we can actually do that in classrooms and schools. Love it. I, it reminds me a lot of, um, like as you were talking, like it's not just in education too. And I think a lot of people just think of the word assessment as a, an awful word. <laughs> you know? uh, yes. like, no, not a test. I don't want to test. But um, the truth is everything in life, like we have to show demonstration of our learning and give feedback, yeah. and do better. I mean, right. I know over the pandemic, um, a lot of you got to see my workouts <laughs> um, on my stories. Um, I've slowed down on that now that we're back in the gym. But I would send those videos. The reason I had those videos is because I would send them to my coach. And my coach would say, you know, Tara, you're not doing that lift right. You know, the, the problem is like your legs aren't lifting up at the right time. Your hands are coming up too soon. You're not scarecrow, like whatever. And had I not got those feedback, that feedback, I would have practiced all of pan, all of our uh, quarantine time wrong and then okay. come back to the gym and for the summative assessment, get in the class and start trying this and actually probably have created a habit that could hurt me. And so I know that's a very literal and physical, but it works for teaching and learning as well. And I, oh, I think sure. something we really need to consider, it says in the moment testing all the time that they're getting that immediate feedback they're changing immediately and you're conquering problems that won't be a problem like later yeah. and i'm gonna I'll, I'll tie it all back together okay. the beginning of this conversation and this you're, you're making some connections happen for me right now but um you know the only reason the states have stepped in to provide these big, scary end of year tests that the suits come in and, and mandate is because other people decided that we didn't do a very good job of assessing our students, collecting evidence and actually using it to change practice. Because as teachers, there were a lot of teachers that were do living lives like me saying everything is perfect. Everything is fine. The kids are learning everything. I don't need to change or fix anything. And the states were coming in and saying that's that can't be true. Let's let's have an outside observer come in, which is why we hate those big scary tests because now it's somebody else coming in and stepping into our turf to tell us what we know. If we were better at truly assessing student learning in the moment and making the necessary adjustments, we wouldn't need the big scary tests at the end of the year because we're doing it regularly. We're being honest. We're being transparent. We're saying, here's where we're excelling and here's where we're struggling. We just have to be open and honest. And then we can get the big scary suits out of our classrooms again when we learn to assess in our classrooms. Hands down. And I, 
yeah, I mean, that's, that's exactly what happened with me too, with these, with this coaching analogy. Um, now I go back to class and we had two new students in our class and they've just joined. So everything just seems super raw, super real, super new. <laughs> and uh, my coach was like, Tara, I want you to demonstrate for them how to do a power snatch. Well, power snatches were always really tough for me, but I practiced over the quarantine through all these videos, lots of feedback, back and forth, back and forth. And now I'm demonstrating for new people how to do it. That's, that's what we should want in our classrooms. Like we're giving all that immediate feedback and it's not like this big scary test at the end. It's like, hey, Sam, like you're killing it. You've already overcome all these obstacles when it comes to this concept. Would you please show Sally how to, what you do and how yeah. you do it? Because we empower them then to be an example of the demonstration of excellence in that area. So yeah, I mean, that's what, that's what testing should look like. Sure. <laughs> so thank you for writing that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, so I think this kind of concludes our real journey show. We've learned a lot about Dave today. We've learned that his journey from masking these insecurities to getting to this place of actually sharing these vulnerabilities and gaining strength in that area to being able to truly liberate his mind to a place where he is open to opportunities that might present themselves or doors that might close in his path to, to lead him to the next direction. And, and now he is having a new book out there and he's kind of given us some ideas on how we should be assessing all the time, you know, and giving feedback all the time to help people to grow. And I think that's what we should do internally, you know, thinking about his personal journey. I journal daily and I'm, I guess in, in, indirectly that could be an assessment of my life at that moment and how am I going to do it a little bit better? And, you know, with the civil rights movement we have going right now in our world, I've been learning a lot of stuff and I'm just constantly reflecting and learning and unlearning practices that I've accumulated over the years. And that's what assessing always and growing and learning is all about. So thank you for sharing your real journey, Dave. I think we're all going to be made better from it. So. Thank you so much. You're awesome. Remember, tune in next week. The Real Journey Show is back on the air. And so every Friday, we'll be releasing a new journey. And uh, same place, same time. Thank you so much for joining The Real Journey Show. We are excited you tuned in today and hope that you have left feeling inspired and empowered to stay real and share your real journey with others. Remember, real, it's all about being relatable, exposing a little vulnerability, approachable, and learning through life. You can connect with me on Twitter at TaraMartinEDU or visit my website, TaraMMartin.com. Please use the hashtag RealJourneyShow to share your thoughts of today's episode. Tune in next week, The Real Journey Show.